What do you want, Kordok said, ignoring the man's comment. He heard his brother shuffle beside him uncomfortably. Forgive my lack of formalities, Prince. I am Tassal Mavet, a servant of Alim, son of Dothros, he said elegantly. Kordok angrily gripped his blade tighter. Alanias is king of Lysfell and our father. You speak of Alim, one who sought to steal that right. Tassal laughed, sounding strangely friendly. Each side has its own understanding of the truth. It is for each of us to decide. Besides, we have bigger ambitions and other truths to reveal, Tassal said matter-of-factly as he held out his hands. Elim is not so small-minded as to only wish to be a king, Tassal said in a serious tone. Slothiel's eyes blinked dangerously with light. Saul turned to him, acknowledging him, or a fake. You, of course, should be as unbiased considering you're not blood. Tell me, Slothiel, what have your adoptive king told you about who you are? Slothiel gave him a hard look. Father warned that you were still in the world and that you were an oathbreaker and a coward, Slothiel said, the strength of his voice increasing as he spoke. Ah, Slothiel, there are many things you and Kordok have no clue about. Your true parents, for instance, to Saul shot back. Like children, you believe only what you are told to believe. Such is the attitude of the victor, leaving out the details of the true story. Kordok let blue flame spread into his fingers. He bears the name of the king, and so he is blood. Slothiel knows his family. Korok said, and there are no more details needed besides the fact that you, Elim, and your Tanemian servants are murderers. Korok challenged Tassal with his blade. Tassal stared at it, a smile on his face. I could easily kill you, Tassal said, his eyes glowing. Salafiel felt the weight of his blade increase and his legs fall out from under him as if he were carrying a heavy load. Korok gagged hard and bent over. Tassal laughed. See, you cannot let the sword quickly enough to beat me. Elim offers you a choice. Whatever you wish will be yours if you only ally yourself with him. He drew a long curved sword from a sheath on his back. An aura of light outlined him. Slothiel released a fire spell at him, which was extinguished with the sweep of Tassal's sword. Kordok wiped his mouth and pushed himself up. Tassal smirked in amusement and casually walked forward as if in no real hurry. Is that all you've been taught? Infantile tricks? You will need more magic than that. He walked at a quicker pace, his eyes narrowed as he assessed their response. So dear Eric has not taught you anything. How kind of him. A failure of a great teacher, if you ask me. There are many lessons to be learned. The hilt of his blade connected with Slothiel's head, leaving him on his back. Looking up at the night sky, with a groan, Slothiel moved to turn himself over. I am taking him. You can come quietly or with the shattering of teeth, Tassal said. Either one can be arranged. Kordok yelled and slung a fireball at the saw, which extinguished into dust before it reached an in- its intended target. The saw frowned and punched Kordok in the stomach with his free hand. Kordok, you and your brother pose no threat to us, even if you reach Malfate. It is a dead end. I have no desire to kill either of you. That does not mean you should test me. All Kordok could do was grasp his stomach and breathe in an attempt to stabilize himself. The saw touched the tip of his sword to Kordok's neck, but not hard enough to draw blood. The sword shimmered like water as if it were made of something other than metal. It seemed to ripple at as it touched him. Slothiel moved into a crouching position. His eyes were all Kordok could see. To Saul, only a kingdom of light expels darkness, Slothiel said, breathing shallowly. So you're back up after that hit. Maybe I held back too much, to Saul lifted an eyebrow. One kingdom cannot kill many, much as two spoiled kids cannot kill a Nikal. Slothiel wasn't sure what Tassal meant. Nikal, he asked, wiping blood from his lip and struggling to stand still, finally falling back down into a crouch. 
The Saul rolled his eyes. Ashenborn are no longer the only ones able to take dragon form. Yadir is balanced once again. Salafiel could feel his strength leaving him. He sat down hard on the ground. You have no proof, he said, his voice trailing off from trying to catch his breath. Show us what you truly are. Dasal snapped his head toward him in a quick gesture. You are not worthy to see such a thing as sacred as that. I have no real reason to prove myself to you two, as you are not worthy to use the form yet. I know you saw me before, Saul mocked. No need to establish moot points. Magic illuminated Slothfield's eyes, and with newfound strength, he stood up. Dasal looked at him, surprised. You're the only one who's not worthy, Slothfield spat, a little blood still flowing from the wound on his head. Dasal's eyes lit up a glowing silver. Aleem wishes you brought before him alive, but your smart mouth makes me want to take your dragon fragment and be done with it. Children are frustrating. Kordok grimaced. Hassal drew a trickle of blood from Kordok, whose neck was stiff from the strain of holding still so as not to get cut by the sword. The magical light wrapped itself around Salafiel. Hassal and Kordok looked at him intrigued. Salafiel's aura of orbs exploded into shards of light. Hassal moved from Kordok and was struck by a shard, sending him flying with a loud thump. Tassal scowled into the dirt, struggling to stand in the heavy, heavily silver armor, heavily clad silver armor. Kordok tried to move, but instead he felt himself being lifted off the ground with tremendous speed. The world around him faded in and out. He heard the distinct roar of a dragon and lost consciousness as, a gold, as golden hues of magic and flames wrapped themselves warmly around him. Chapter 6 Into the Light Kordok awoke to pain in his stomach. He sat up to find Salafiel passed out before him. Beside him, he looked to be in a deep sleep as he was drooling. His face wasn't as swollen as before. They were in a large expanse of woods, and far from where they had been to Saul, as far as Kordok could tell. How did we end up here, he asked himself. Looking around him, he saw the last of night was slowly fading and sun was beginning to peek through the trees. A game trail wove through the woods, which he recognized because of his hunting experience. He looked down at his sleeping brother. If only there was a way to replicate how Salafiel looked at this moment, he chuckled to himself. It was amazing to him that both their swords were, but only a few feet from them. But his bow was gone, shattered in the fight with Belial. He sighed, holding the pieces in his hands. His father had helped him make that bow. He tossed them away disappointedly. He shook Slothiel, who stirred and groaned. Slothiel sat up and immediately put his hand to his head. So this is what a hangover feels like, he joked, wincing. Korok smiled. No, that's what a concussion feels like, little brother. Slothiel made a movement to stand up, but Korok stopped him. Rest a while, brother. Your hard head took quite a blow. Slothiel looked up and nodded, not arguing. He rubbed his mouth and made a noise of disgust at the feel of saliva. What happened? You were sleeping. No, how did we get here? You don't remember? Kordok asked, surprised. I was hoping you could tell me. Slothiel shook his head, which he seemed to regret immediately as his hand returned to his forehead. All I know is... Tassal came... called me more... Tassal called me more than Alanias' son. Sorry, y'all. Then he hit me over the head. What do you think that meant? He probably dislikes you. Slothiel squinted and blinked. Kordok shrugged. I don't know what he meant by that. There's no value in the word of a snake. Slothiel looked away perplexed. Kordok went into the distance, his thoughts very much preoccupied. Regardless, you saved us. You made a flash of light with your magic and poof, here we are. He paused, adding, You're sure you don't remember anything? Slothiel's eyes looked upward as he struggled to remember. No, I mean, I believe you, but I don't remember it. 
Korok watched him carefully, then shrugged. Well, regardless, we were saved by something fortunate. We need to keep going, but maybe Derek would know more about it. Before we go, I'll contact him with the window speak, Korok said as his eyes shifted to the hunting trail. I'm going to follow this trail to see if it's a stream nearby. It may lead to the Goblishan River. Salafia winced. Do you know, you think you'll be okay? Do you think you'll be okay? Kordok asked him, concerned. Slothiel nodded and waved him away. Kordok nodded. Okay, be alert. I don't know if these woods are safe. Whistle if there's trouble. I'll inform you what Derek says when I return. Kordok nodded. Whistling was a way he and his brothers often used to communicate in the woods. He stretched out and picked up a twig and began to break pieces of it off into smaller pieces and toss them to the side, a habit of his whenever he was thinking. After a few minutes, the headache abated. And none too soon, he thought. He stood and leaned against the tree, his vision blackening. Got up too fast, he muttered, sitting back down again. The woods around Korok were thick. The growth of the coming green of the summer spread around him. He was able to make out several patches of poisonous plants. The place they had landed was oddly clear despite the thickness of the trees around him. The game trail Korok was following stretched and wound down a hill. Slothy was out of his view in a few hundred feet. He looked out at the drop in the canyon below him, awed by the beauty surrounding him. He could barely make out Delgraph from where he stood. It looked so small from the distance. Birds and squirrels rustled around him. The birds sang peacefully as Kordok continued searching for water while speaking with Derek in the window speak. The broad head of the dragon looked through the window speak, the largest of his eyes taking up most of the space. Elder Derek? Kordok asked doubtfully. It is I, the dragon replied, the sound of wind coming from through. It appeared Derek was flying. I apologize for contacting you, but you wanted us to speak to you if we ran into trouble. The dragon's brow raised. Are you both all right? Have you found Jacobin? Where are you? His voice did not hide his concern. Kordak relayed their location and told him how they encountered Tassal and the Thnemes. Derek listened quietly, the sound of the wind flowing past him, the only noise. As for Jacobin, we have found nothing. Worry showed up in Derek's eyes, but his next words weren't about Jacobin. You've encountered Tassal and lived to tell about it. Incredible that both of you are able to hand yourselves against Nikal. Nikal? Kordot asked. Derek nodded. In the history of the Ashenborn, there's only ever been one Nikal, a person who's able to become a dragon without using the fragments. I would wager the reason Tassal fled was to understand how to do so and to teach those previously imprisoned. So there, are, there, so there are potentially more, Kordok said, alarmed. Yes, Derek said. There were more than a handful of our enemies in that prison. Who knows the implications? But you and your brother made it out. How did you do so? You said your brother saved both of you? Kordok shook his head. He doesn't remember, which is odd, but both of us are experiencing weird er, side effects. Kor- uh, Derek nodded. That is common for new Ashenborn, though what you speak of is rather interesting. I must advise you both, do not challenge the Tanims or any of the prisoners again openly. I was wrong to send you away without proper training. We knew there was no time for that, Kordok said. We knew that what was required when we left. Derek looked unnerved. Regardless, do not challenge them, and only if you absolutely must. To Saul, especially at my level of power, is at my level of power. He may even be stronger now that he's in a call. Stronger than you, Kordok's eyes went wide. It is likely likely that is besides the point however you both must take it to malfate quickly who knows what the enemy plots i myself am going to iosh to speak to my kin as to what direction we are to take we are capable you both are but my worries lie with jacobin i wish we had some word from him but you can should continue to malfate regardless there would be 
that would be the most likely place for him to go. We will. We would never abandon finding our brother. Derek nodded, adding, May your fire shine bright. If you need me, do not hesitate. Be ever watchful. Thank you, Elder. One last thing. Your father sends his regards and love and wishes for you to remain safe. Kordok smiled, knowing his father would never miss the opportunity to tell them that he loved them. Thank you, Elder, and tell him the same when you see him. Derek smiled. The window speak went dull. Kordok sighed. I hope we are capable of this task, he said under his breath. He filled the canteen with water from the stream he had found and walked back to tell Salafia what Derek had said. Your Grace, I will contact Wolfsbane and speak to my father, the King, Thornbjorn said. Alanias rubbed his beard and stood up from the table where he had been sitting. Thank you, Thornbjorn, but I must ask more of, you, more of you. He shifted uncomfortably. We will need as many men as Wolfsbane can muster as quickly as possible. It will be done without question. It must be. What of others? How fair are your sons? He asked respectfully. Alanai's face was grim. I fear that they have run into trouble. I often doubt having sent them on this mission, but never mind. You have enough to concern yourself with currently. He nodded as Alanai's handed him a scroll with his seal in red wax. Take word to your people and see what men we can gather. Normally the High King and his men would come in time to quell incoming armies, but we can't count on that time. At all costs, deliver this message. My lord, we have a long-standing alliance, and we shall send what men we can spare, he said as he bowed. Alanias nodded solemnly, then turned to look out the nearby window, dismissing him. It is only fitting that you receive the same aid that you have provided us, Thormjord said, turning to go. I will make haste. He left at a run, and Alanias went onto the balcony of the throne room. He had not expected to see the ships entering Archiris Rift from the west. The rift was a perilous passage from inexperienced sailors, with sharp rocks hidden beneath the waves that could easily reduce a ship to nothing but a few floating pieces of wood. He had thought the enemy would come from the southern mist isles. His face became grimmer as he thought of his sons, his resolve wavering for a moment. If they returned with Jacobin and reinforcements, then their journey would not have been in vain. Thornbjorn was also an ally who could be trusted to send men in this time of need. Lysville shall not fail or fall, he said to himself, reassured by the plans he had made. Yet still, he looked over the kingdom, committing the view from his window to memory as if he might never see it again. I am being silly in my old age, he shook his head and rubbed his temples. I must be strong for the people, he thought, even if it isn't true. A bird flew through from the south and landed on the bird keep just below him, delivering some news he hoped to be good. His mood was down. He had spent the majority of the night planning with the Zarks and his captains to build up the city's fortifications. Lack of sleep had left him tired and irritable. He contemplated taking an hour of rest, knowing appearances were important. He had seen Zarks off to do other things, and this would give him time to renew his strength. His shaking hands unwrapped the message delivered by the bird, careful not to tear the delicate scroll. He shook his head and threw down the letter. Nothing of dire importance was contained within. Alanis couldn't recall how he'd found his way to his resting quarters, but he fell asleep nonetheless, his thoughts still upon the trials that faced the kingdom. Thornbjorn pushed past several men as he announced his departure to the captain of the old wind ship tied in the port. The captain nodded. He was a curt man of forty, and had brown hair with a scattering of grey on his head, and his beard that hinted at his age. His eyes were brown, surrounded by creases that took that told of long days squinting against the glint of the sun on the sea. The captain turned from Thornbjorn and ordered his crew to prepare for departure while he looked off it to the sea. Alim ships will soon be upon us in a few days. We must make haste to avoid them. 
She will take us there, the captain said, smiling. The sea serpent has never failed me. Thormior swore in derision at the name of the ship, the Sea Serpent, a name he cared very little for as he had considered a Sea Serpent's evil creatures. Captain Salinair, is my armor for Wolfsbane still on board? He asked as the captain's men moved around them, preparing the ship for departure. Yes, as you left it, though, I had not thought you'd stay for such a short amount of time this time, the captain said, turning to reprimand a sailor who was doing nothing. Thornbjorn shrugged. The ashen ended sooner than I had hoped. You shall be rewarded with coin, I assure you. This made Selenor brighten up. The wind picked up slightly, a good sign for the travel. As Thorngorn looked all around, he saw warships stocked all around him. He took in the giant sails embroidered with the standard of life's fail. The fleet would meet Elims, and he wanted to be sure, be nowhere near when that happened. These waters will not be as blue then, he thought. Lifesfell's fleet was few but strong, and more would come to her aid, at least her people hoped. Thornbjorn handed Selenir a small leather bag of gold coins and climbed down to the lower deck to remove the armor he had donned in his fight for the Lysvale, uh, for the Ashen. He replaced it with a clean tunic. It would be a while before we need his fur armor again. He sighed and strapped his silver blade to his side, an odd, old habit of his that he cared not to change. The ship surged forward, causing him to stumble. It creaked like an old man's knees, but the trip here had made him used to the sound. The ship was leaving the port. Salinair called down immediately afterwards, prepare yourself. Thornbjorn shook his head and grimaced. A little late for that, he thought as he climbed back up to the deck and looked toward the sea. Now homeward, he said, as he examined the new van brace on his wrist. His voice trailed off as he focused on the quartz shard that had been bound to him. Was this a mistake, he asked himself. Derek had approached him earlier that morning and had spoken about the magic beyond that of his people. He had added something about how Thornbjorn would be the first Ashenborn among Wolfsbane's citizens. It was an opportunity he had accepted gratefully, but he did not know how his father would feel about it. The kingdom of Wolfsbane was a proud and powerful people. They respected the Ashenborn, but none had ever become one. Derek had told them that there were three others to become Ashenborn along with him. He assumed he meant Alanice's sons. He had come to celebrate the Ashen in his father's stead, since his father had had other more pressing matters to attend to. Besides, he thought, the opportunity to become a powerful as become as powerful as Elder Derek was possible, it should not be overlooked. He touched the skin on his arm. The ship had cleared the harbor and surged forward as all sails were raised, catching the strengthening wind. He looked around the gray blue waters towards his home. His father would send men to aid Lysville, he was sure. If nothing else, he knew that much. He smiled. Dragons or no dragons, Wolf Spain would come to the aid of its sister kingdom. Zarks walked as quietly as he could, passing small houses and huts of varying size. The night was cloudy, the stars obscured. He gripped his fists tightly, feeling the blood in his veins begin to surge with adrenaline. His steps became heavier as he strolled with more determination, entering the woods that led to the Light Kingdom, the Light Prison. He felt the cords in his neck tighten. It was not often he intentionally allowed himself to be put in such a situation. The walk before him was long and hidden. He followed the trail to the broken prison, which had grown ever dimmer since his last visit. The magic seemed to be draining away, like the water from a lake with a broken dam. He stepped through the first and second line of gates that looked more like stone pillars than doors. He decided the center would be the place for what he had come for, and he stood still, looking sharply around him. The prison was eerily quiet, despite having been inhabited only a short time ago. The remaining light was enough to produce the visibility of a torch. 
Zark shuffled uncomfortably, his hand wrapped around the hidden weapon he carried. Zark's, a human voice called through the darkness. Zark's turned towards the call. The figure was dressed in dark clothing, his face covered. You know who I am. Who are you? The man removed his hood. He had a finely trimmed beard and neat grayish brown hair that was combed back from a window's peak. My name is Bagadin. His brown eyes drilled into Zark's. Zark's crossed his arms, unamused. I was told I'd be meeting Alim, the war criminal, Zark said, displeased. Bagadin laughed, a hollow laugh. Alim need not be bothered, Bagadin lifted his chin. He will not make appearance, or he will make an appearance, but not tonight. Zark's tried not to show his agitation. You waste my time. I am a general and did not think my time would be wasted on one of his lessers. He scowled. You should watch your tongue, Bagadin said. Bagadin lifted his palm, sending an orb of light floating over the two, eliminating the destroyed prison. <laughs> I am capable of doing to you what Tassal did to this prison. Don't forget it. Zarks kept his eyes on Bagadin, grunting. An overconfident bunch you all are. <laughs> Regardless, Bagadin said, you have not heard Saul's proposal. Oh, what would possibly interest me? You and your friends are not worth eating with, Zark said angrily. Bagadin smiled shyly, or slyly, <laughs> shyly. The Tanims are heading to Lysville. It is not too late for us to ignore your little kingdom and go on our way. We have already captured so much in so little time. Zarks pretended to be uninterested in the news. There are those who are already bowed to us. Lysville was a key combatant in the War of Stones. This mercy will be giving only once, <laughs> Bagadin said. Sorry, y'all. Zarks raised a brow. Oh, Salim is in a merciful mood. Bagadin laughed. Deny this and we will kill Ionias in his blood. Alim offers mercy where no one was given to his father. You will do no such thing, Zark said through clenched teeth. Bagadin closed his eyes, sighing as if searching for patience. Alim hopes not to, you see. He is kind and merciful. If others will accept his forgiveness, it is a free gift. Take it. His eyes snapped open. <laughs> I have. Accept the words of a conjurer and a demon. Accept the words of a lord of kings. Or allow Lysfell's father and sons to pay for the sins of its kingdom. Zark shivered, rattled by Bagadin's vipers' words. <laughs> You will not harm any of them. I will make sure of that. Your face betrays you. We know his sons are outside of your protection. Alright, guess I'm going to end it there. Thanks, guys.